Hi, this is Daniil Hartman and Yossi Klein-Halevi from Jerusalem here at the Hartman Institute. And this is the Institute's podcast, For Heaven's Sake, the special edition, Israel at War. And today is day 19. Before we get into our topic for today, how are you, Yoss? How are you feeling? <laughs> well, when I... It's day when 19. I, yeah, you know, when I, I... I have tools to rely on, you know, I, I meditation, breathing, exercise, an occasional sleeping pill. And, uh, and okay, okay. How about yourself? I just came to this podcast from the Institute Sports Field. Today, we're hosting 200 children from a kibbutz in near Aza and 70 mothers. All the fathers are either in the army or are protecting the kibbutz. And they've been in a hotel for two weeks. And, you know, you think about it. Oh, you're in a hotel, you know, and they're four. You know what a hotel is? It's like they have no place to go. And... Uh, one of the principals of our school, the vice principal of our school, knew somebody from this kibbutz and invited them. And Yossi, I'm walking around. People are thanking me and I'm crying. <laughs> They're saying, our children haven't had a chance to run. And we put on, I don't know what they call when you blow up machines where they jump. And, uh, and there was this nail painting thing and chocolate and... And, and soccer, and then there was this animal person, and there was coffee. And for three hours, they felt normal. And wow. Uh, wow, so like, I'm you coming know. to this. Yeah. Um, you know, and I told people, like, every day now, I said, Hartman Institute, we have space. Every single day, I want people to be, and I, you know, you feel, you know, I'm a teacher. We're all, we all... You know, it's just, I'm seeing, you know, I'm Israel Chai here, you know, and, and there's no left wing and right wing. And it was really, you know, it was a very right wing, um, quasi ultra orthodox Zionist group. So we had to put on music of the types of music that they're comfortable with. It was just, you know, I'm Israel's here and we're taking care of each other and it's what should be and it's our power and, uh. You know, so it's like I had a, I'm coming with all of these experiences, you know. Last night, we let somebody uh, who's supposed to get married next week, he's a senior officer in the army. Um, next week, he's supposed to get married and they're going to be in Aza. So his wife came to us and says, could I use the camp? Could I, could I have a wedding here? And last night, they, they gave him four hours off to get married. So it's like, you know, you see these things and it's a really hard time, Yossi. But at the same time, there's, there's a humanity that um, is very powerful. And to participate in that humanity in the midst of, of all the horror, it, it balances it. You know, there's still humanity here. And, uh, well, I'm glad you asked me how I am because you had a much better answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling, you know, it, listen, it's, it's a tough time but it's also a very meaningful, profound time. And, um, you know, Am Yisrael Chai has a lot of meanings at different times. Part of that, at this time, this is one of those meetings. And uh, I was privileged. You know, it's so interesting, Danielle. In ordinary times, we would never go around speaking about Am Yisrael Chai. 
It's a cliche. Yeah, it's, it's kitsch. <laughs> but in in, uh, in times of emergency, it's all there for the taking and 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 for fortifying us. And it's amazing to see Israeli kids invoking these these cliches. And and you see it on the front. We 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 have these these resources that in ordinary times we we kind of roll our eyes about, but they're they're very powerful. Yeah, I never use that term. <laughs> You're right. It's not, but it's just that's just what I'm feeling. You know, we talk on this podcast, and uh, it's what I'm feeling. So today, on day 19, both of us identified a core issue that's permeating and engulfing Israeli society. And maybe it's part of the fact that we're in this waiting period between amassing the troops and moving in. And day 19, we're still there. I don't know what will be on day 20. But today's podcast is entitled, There is Absolutely No Justification, period. But, question mark, immediately after the massacre, on October 7th, Israelis felt embraced by a world in an unprecedented manner. There were a couple of demonstrations of people who celebrated and felt, I just read of this professor who uses the words, he felt invigorated by the Hamas massacre. There, you know, there were those people. I, I don't want to talk about them. They were there. But the vast majority of the world embraced us. And Israelis don't usually feel embraced. We're, you know, to quote the prophet Bil'am in the Bible, hen an levadad yishkon, you know, we are a people that dwells apart. Loneliness is a big part of the Israeli experience. Loneliness in the neighborhood, loneliness in the world of feeling that you don't really understand this. But at this moment of supreme victimhood, we felt seen and understood. And... It was very powerful and meaningful. But as the time, the days are passing, the cycles or the circles of those who we feel don't understand us are growing. Growing beyond radical Islam and anti-Semitic and extreme, extreme left, who from the beginning blamed us. There are more and more questions People are talking about civilians in Gaza, uh, about other casualties, about who Israel's conducting the war, about what the consequences might be of a ground campaign. You hear the conversation, and part of what's happening in Israel is you feel this simmering anger. It's like simmering. Like, what? What, there's another side? What's going on here? I don't want to hear. All I want to hear is that you sympathize with my pain, period. And now there's more conversation. And Israelis are creating loyalty tests, loyalty tests in Israel, what you're allowed to say, what you're not allowed to say. And in many ways, the Guterres, the Secretary General of the United Nations, his statement yesterday, which we'll get into, was, was almost like the paradigm of or the the epitome of of the breaking of the love and the camaraderie and the sympathy that we feel we need and there's no justification for what Hamas did but the minute the word but comes in 
something flips for Israelis. How do you understand it? So I think that my role in this conversation, Daniil, is going to be to uphold the Israeli every person, the Israeli person on the street, because I feel that same rage. And uh, first of all, I don't think, at least my perception was that even in those first days, we were not engulfed by an overwhelming embrace. Uh, we were certainly understood in a way that we haven't been for years by large parts of the world. And I think that from the beginning, there were significant parts of uh, even uh, the mainstream left that said, well, you know, it's the occupation, it's, uh, it's, it's apartheid, it's the whole litany. And that was there from day one. And now those voices have become more emboldened and more mainstream. And in the early days of, uh, the days immediately after the massacre, uh, I appreciated the outpouring of sympathy, but I was also very wary of it because I knew that this was going to flip in a moment. And as soon as the terrible scenes started accumulating from Gaza, that's exactly what happened. Now, I think that there's something very deep here, Daniil, that comes out of our experience with anti-Semitism for thousands of years. And, and I think that Israelis, whether consciously or not, are reacting to the but. And that is that whatever happened to us, whatever was done to us, was somehow our fault. We provoked the attacks against us. We deserved it. That's built in to the history of anti-Semitism. And so when we hear now, after the worst massacre in Israel's history, that, well, yes, but look what you've done. That brings us right back to a very old pattern. And I know that it touched off exactly, it pressed that button for me. And there's something, you know, on the one hand, we've never been more savagely attacked than we were on October 7th. And at the same time, I rarely recall such raw hatred against Israel as we're experiencing now. So that's an extreme. But you've got a vast middle of people who somehow, in a softer way, a gentler way, the both sides are at fault. Both sides, this is not a time for both sides. This is a time for un equivocal identification of Hamas as a genocidal organization. And just one last point, Daniel, which is that there is this assumption, you know, when Israel's critics say, well, it's the occupation, it's Palestinian frustration, they're ignoring the fact that Hamas is not about creating a two-state solution. That's not Hamas's goal at all. Hamas's goal is to stop a two-state solution. It's to create a one state from the river to the sea without Jews. It's a genocidal organization. This was Hamas's ideology in practice. And so to say, well, I'm going to explain this, don't explain this. There are other things that we can explain. There's lots of room in this conflict for both sides-ism, not at this moment. I find myself with you and not with you. And as I'm listening to you, I'm resonating 
And at some point, I, I feel separated. And I'd be okay being quiet if I didn't think that we were hurting ourselves. If we weren't hurting ourselves, it's okay for a mourner to just demand that everybody be quiet and just identify. It's okay. It's okay for us to feel that. And I appreciate you've studied this and I haven't. The larger association with anti-Semitic history and and you wrote a great article. It's in the Times of Israel uh, precisely on this, which I want to recommend to everybody. Really, really important article. But I'm worried. I'm talking as an Israeli for Israelis, not who we are. You described. I want to prescribe for a moment. I agree. There is no room for an identification with Hamas. If the explanations are mediating their moral depravity, not interested. If there's both sides guilty here, there is no both sides to the murder, to the pogrom of October 7. But there is something happening after October 7 that we make a profound error if we think October 7th makes that transparent, that October 7th is almost, not only is it a moral get-out-of-jail card, it's a discourse get-out-of-jail. It's like a silencing card. There's a distinction of what type of but you're giving here. Great. It's a, it's a great, great point. It's exactly right. Look, I'm not saying that any criticism of Israel even harsh criticism of how we're responding in Gaza is illegitimate in light of October 7th. Not at all. I'm speaking very specifically about how too many people, including many in the media, are speaking about October 7th itself. You need to understand October 7th because of the occupation. It's a response. See, let's go to October that. 7th is not a response to the occupation. That is correct. It is, I accept. It, it is a response to Hamas's genocidal vision. I'm with That's you. That's what it was. I'm with you. Okay. You'll see, I'm with you, but where I think we have to talk is I think that we are going to create litmus tests of loyalty and we're going to find ourselves increasingly isolated and lonely. And there are lots of friends of ours out there who have a but. Like there was a, could I say, like, what am I allowed to say? Could I mention in the same sentence the pogrom of the seventh and say, and I also mourn the consequences of that to the civilians of Gaza. Not creating, can I, am I allowed, now in Israel, you're not allowed to say that. It's almost as if we are now, there's, we're alone. Like, could, do you want, could you humor me a second? I want to read for all of us Guterres' statement. And I saw the Israeli response. We're for firing him, kicking out, like, as if we could, like, as, you know, this is some great horrific as, moment. As, like, as if we could, exactly. As if we could, which is interesting. <laughs> but, but it's like, we're talking to ourselves. I'm always worried when we get overly self-righteous because, again, it doesn't bother me by itself. But mm-hmm. what are the consequences of alienating friends and, and sloppy thinking? Because October 7th creates the imperative of self-defense 
it doesn't create, like the Minister of Defense said, all limits on, uh, on the army are removed, as if he has the ability to do that, as if our soldiers would act. Like, what are you talking about? So let's look, let's analyze just for a moment for our audience, because we're talking as Israelis here, but it also applies to our audience around the world who, who, who like, what a, how do we talk to people? Look what he said. In fact, I'm quoting, he says, I have condemned unequivocally the horrifying and unprecedented 7 October acts of terror by Hamas in Israel. Nothing can justify the deliberate killing, injuring, and kidnapping of civilians or the launching of rockets against civilian targets. And then he goes on, all hostages uh, must be treated humanely and released immediately without conditions. It is important, then he adds, to also recognize the attacks by Hamas did not happen in a vacuum. The Palestinian people have been subjected to 56 years of suffocating occupation. They have seen their land steadily devoured by settlements and plagued by violence. Their economy stifled, their people displaced, and their homes demolished. Their hopes for a political solution to their plight have been vanishing. And then he adds, but, this is his but, the second but, but the grievances of the Palestinian people cannot justify the appalling acts by Hamas. And those appalling acts also cannot justify the collective punishment of the Palestinian people. Is this an act of betrayal against the Jewish people and our suffering on October 7th? Is it? Can we? Because I have to tell you, we're going to have to. I don't want to, but we're going to have to talk about the consequences of what's happening in the war. To speak about that something doesn't happen in a vacuum, every criminal has a context. Now, people have a free choice. If you're abused, your tendency will be that you're going to abuse. It's true. I would not want to be a citizen of Gaza. I would not want to be in that reality that in no way justifies people could choose. But for us to ignore, not in order to justify and legitimize, but in order for us to ask, okay, what do we need to do now? Or is October 7th going to exhaust the parameters of our moral discourse? And I know I'm aggravating now so much of our audience, and I know that, but it's okay, that's our job. But I don't mean to aggravate, and I don't want to aggravate anybody. I'm just, I'm just watching this isolationist language. I've seen it, by the way, being applied to Israeli Arabs. All we want you to do is to stand with us. Don't talk about your anything else. Don't talk about your feelings towards Palestinians. I think we're putting ourselves in a bad place and a place that's going to have moral consequences and political consequences. And I don't think, I think there could be some nuances of, ah, that so we could let's find. Talk about, let's talk about the nuances. Let's study his statement for a moment, okay? He starts off by saying, nothing can justify this. And then he, even after he then cites the occupation, he then reinforces, nothing can justify so the context ju can't justify. So he's not justifying in light of the... He's not using the occupation to justify October 7th. But what he is doing is using the occupation 
to help explain October 7th. Now, that's a very fine line. And as soon as you start bringing in the occupation into the context of a mini pre-enactment of Hamas's genocidal vision, you're quasi-justifying. In the case of October 7th, in the case of what Hamas does, it's not about the last 56 years. It's about the last 75 years. Hamas referred to the Jewish communities that it attacked as settlements. Now, these were communities within Israel's international borders. But for Hamas, occupation means 75 years. And so when the UN Secretary General brings in the occupation to explain this, and the motive is not 56 years, he's on morally precarious grounds, and he is implicitly, implicitly laying the stage for others who might be a little less careful than him. Now, there's one more point here, Daniel, because there are two things he's talking about. He's talking about, uh, well, three things. October 7th, the occupation, and then what happens after October 7th. To refer in any way to explain the context of October 7th, for me, is outrageous. To speak about the consequences of October 7th, that's obviously legitimate. It's a necessary moral conversation. But here again, the question is, will there be moral equivalence between October 7th and Israel's response to October 7th? I would. Let's just look at the terms. But. Is but used to justify? Is but used to explain? Is but used to recognize other challenges? Is but used to make sure that Israelis realize that they have moral responsibilities. There's a lot of buts. And I think we as Israelis, and I think Jews around the world, I think we have to refine our buts. I think we have to be careful not to categorize all of them in the same place. And a lot of friends are gonna say but. Be careful that in your desire to strengthen us, you're not weakening us. This is, for heaven's sake, Israel at War, Day 19. For more ideas from the Shalom Hartman Institute about what's unfolding right now, sign up for our newsletter in the show notes or visit shalomhartman.org forward slash Israel at War.